Hey, I'm Steph. I'm Alex. And this is Not Today. Hey, how you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing fine. You're not anxious? Not nervous at all? <laughs> For this episode. No, not at all. Who, me? No. Anxious? Never. Yeah. No. <laughs> do we do we have anything we have to talk about before we before we get started or uh not really. Not no. pertaining to to um our show. Okay. <laughs> cool. All right. We're so still breathing. We're just s- keeping breathing. Yeah. Yeah. We're trying. <laughs> we're doing that. Um yeah, no, I'm I'm just a little bit nervous to talk about this this story. It's it is a really big and hard thing to talk about and to hear and it's really upsetting um <laughs> you know i don't know i'm not laughing you know uncomfortably I'm, un- I'm uncomfortably laughing this story does uh talk about or i will be talking about child abuse so if that's not something you feel you can listen to today i totally understand uh just come back next week we're going to be telling a much lighter story next week so you know yeah but if you do want to listen but if you do want to hear this here we are yeah if you do want to hear this insane story here we are we're going to talk about it so we're going to be talking about the turpin family and this story kind of broke pretty pretty recently to be honest i'm pretty sure it's 2018 when this like whole thing came to light which is obviously it's still kind of fresh which is also kind of scary but also it's i just felt like we should talk about it just because I feel like everyone who came in contact with these children failed them. Everyone failed them. And it's one of those things where it's like the bystander effect where like, you know. Oh my God, I'm not going to do well with this story. Yeah, it's 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 like you can't even wrap your head around like what these children went through. It's insane. So yeah, I just think that it's important to talk about because it, it really is like, you know, you see something, you say something. And I just kind of want to like really drive that home because there were so many opportunities for people to say something and nobody did. Mm. So, you know, it's, it's really, it's a lot. So we're going to get into it. We're going to be talking about David and Louise Turpin. They are the parents of these children. They had 13 children we're going to talk about. And I'm going to start by telling you a little bit of background on David and Louise Turpin. And, you know, if we ever feel any sort of sympathy or or you know whatever for Louise Turpin we can right. we can feel bad for her in the beginning because she's a child and then once she is no longer a child we can all agree that she is absolutely like the one of the worst people to ever walk planet earth both of these people are pure pure evil and i just want to keep everyone in the same the same under the same blanket we all know that these are evil people okay (laughs) because the beginning is like a little bit she doesn't have a great childhood but anyway so david allen turpin was born on october 17th 1961 and his family was deeply devout and every sunday they attended the princeton church of god in west virginia one summer the Turpin family became friends with the Robinette family, who also attended the same church, and they had three daughters, Elizabeth, Teresa, and Louise. So Louise Anna Turpin was, well, not at the time, she wasn't Turpin, she was Robinette, but Louise Robinette was born May 24th, 1968. David and Louise met through their church when David was 17, almost 18 years old, and Louise was around 10 or 11. And according to David, he had a crush on Louise from when she was 10 years old. So That's a little weird. Yeah, so we're starting this shit out creepy, you know? We're going to start it out creepy and we're going to keep it creepy. They both grew up in, you know, this deeply devout Pentecostal church and they lived fairly close to each other and would see each other all the time. So Louise's father was a pastor and her mother was just a deeply sick person. Louise and her siblings would endure regular sexual abuse from their go- their grandfather because their mother would bring the girls to her father's house and in exchange for money she would leave her children with her father who was a pedophile are you fucking kidding me no i'm not so she was knowingly bringing her children to the home of a predator and pretty much selling her children to her own father 
she was prostituting her own children to her father. Yes. And that's why I kind of gave the disclaimer, like, this is the part where we can feel bad for child Louise, because that's fucked. But, you know, after this, it's like... <laughs> wow. It's everything. It is so sad, though, because it's oh, it like is. just a cycle. Yeah, no, it's terrible. This is absolutely terrible, and I can't even imagine that being, like, something something already. worse. Yeah, like, that's insane. We're, like, not even five minutes in. Right. So, in school, Louise was a loner and was bullied a lot and just had a very hard upbringing, you know, obviously. And David, on the other hand, had a, a different experience. Some people did think he was a little weird, but he was very, very smart. He was the head of the chess team and on the honor roll. He was the treasurer of the Bible club. He sang in the a cappella group and he would dress kind of formally every single day. He was extremely involved and everyone knew him and he was, you know, known as a nerd, but he was almost popular. So he had a very different experience than Louise. Yeah, Jesus, night and day. Right. So you can only imagine the influence that he would have had on this, you know, 10 or 11 year old as a 17 year old popular kid who was flirting with her. So oh, he's flirting with yeah, her at he, 10 and yes, 11. Yeah. He had a crush oh on God. her and he wanted to be with her. That is disgusting. Yeah. So only about a year or two later, David and Louise officially started dating, but kind of in secret. And when Louise's mother found out, she didn't care because, I mean, why would Louise's mother care about anything? Uh, because yeah, she's, she's already person. like, yeah. <laughs> right. Because she said that David was a, quote, good boy, although she never told Louise's father because he wouldn't have agreed with the age difference. As anyone should. <laughs> right. Where is the father? Like, is he complicit in this, like, prostituting of I'm, his own children? I don't know. I don't think he knew. I, I don't know. Oh my God. Yeah. He didn't know. I don't know. I it, he, it's, it's possible he didn't know. I don't know. Yeah. yeah I, I want to know where he's at. He's a pastor. He's like a very, you know, devout pastor, strict father figure kind of guy. So I feel like he probably didn't know. Um, and Louise would tell her mother that she was going to marry David one day and have 12 of his children. Holy shit. That is a lot of children. Yeah. So from pretty much like 12 or 13 years old, she's like, yep, I'm going to marry David and I'm going to have 12 of his children. David Turpin graduated from Virginia Tech in 1984. And by 1985, David and Louise planned to elope when he was 24 and she was only 17 years old. But also Louise looked a lot younger than she actually was. So it was, you know, even creepier. Uh... Although Louise's sister... Elizabeth thinks that part of the reason Louise agreed to elope with David was to get away from her grandfather because this... Oh, who can blame her? I mean, her? I, I don't. I don't blame her for that. And right before they eloped, David posed as her father. That way he could pick her up from school and the two of them could run away together. Wow. Yeah. You're posing as... Okay. Right. That's where we're at. So... David got a job with General Dynamics in Fort Worth, Texas. So after David picked her up from school that day, they made their way to Texas. And when Louise's parents found out, her father was absolutely furious. Her mother uh, also contacted the police. And days later in Fort Worth, the couple was picked up by an officer. Louise's mother wanted to press charges for kidnapping, but David and Louise begged her parents to refrain from pressing charges, and Louise's parents agreed and actually signed over written consent for David to be married to their daughter because, you know, she was still a minor and they had to, like, sign her over, essentially. I think her father did that because he was worried that if he didn't sign her over that she'd have premarital sex, God forbid. So that was his reasoning, and which is not right but also i don't know like that was what you were most concerned yes, about yes exactly that's that's my point like he was most concerned about <laughs> her potentially having premarital sex oh my god so whatever like dude <laughs> there are <laughs> there's bigger issues here yeah exactly <laughs> um and after that the couple agreed to drive back to princeton where they had a small marriage ceremony only attended by a small group of family members and then they moved back to fort worth Louise kept in touch with her sister Elizabeth, but cut off contact with the rest of her family, which I, I you know, I again don't blame her for because this <laughs> wasn't. Didn't she have another sister too? She did, yeah, and she she'll kind of go back and forth on this, like I am in touch with my family, I'm not in touch with my family, like mm -hmm. she'll flip flop. So, but for now, she's only in contact with Elizabeth. And so David was working as a mechanical engineer, and he was making really good money. 
So Louise was having the time, time of her life. The couple would go out for dinner all the time. They went on trips. They went to a bunch of live entertainment. Louise was living the life of her dreams. And in 1987, the couple moved to Brea, California because David was being transferred. Even though things between Jennifer and her family were still strained at this point, she made an effort to show how great her life had become. And that's just kind of the theme of this whole story. Louise really depicted her life in one way to have it seem as if she was living this fairy tale life, but that wasn't what was going on behind closed doors. But you know, she's very much like, I'm gonna post a picture of my great life and I'm gonna tell you that I'm spending so much money and we bought a million cars and blah, 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 because mm. she just wanted to like, you know, keep up this facade. And so she would write letters to her family back in Princeton and basically brag about how great everything was for her and her husband. And on July 28th, 1988, they had their first child, Jennifer Dawn. They would go on to have 13 kids after this, like I mentioned in the beginning, and all of them had J names, which is... How do you keep track? <laughs> yeah. My, my mom, like, mixes up my brother and my name because we both start with A. <laughs> right. So I can't even imagine. Yeah, that times, you I'm know, just, 13. I'm just like, just start assigning them numbers. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> um, and when David and Louise had Jennifer, they flew out Louise's family and they paid for everything. They took them to all the local tourist locations. They took them to dinner. They put on a really big show and they, they paid for their, like, plane tickets and everything. So they were, they were doing the most. And... In 1990, David was transferred again and the family returned to Fort Worth. They moved into this really good neighborhood, into a big old house, and continued to have Louise's family visit constantly and continued to pay their way for everything. So her family really believed that Louise had made it and she had this perfect life. One of her sisters would say she didn't marry for looks, but she married for money. Because, spoiler alert, David's ugly as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> He's got this weird-ass haircut. He's ugly as shit. So, well, yeah. And even after all these trips, her sisters said they never really got to know David. He was just very reserved and quiet, and he just kind of sat back and observed. He didn't really talk to her family. Ooh, that's He's giving little... me chills. Yeah. That's a red flag. Yeah. Um, and by 1993, they had already had two more children. And although David was making a six-figure salary, they weren't in a good place because they were definitely spending beyond their means. They maxed out all their credit cards and went really deeply into debt, which was only made worse when Louise acquired a gambling addiction. Acquired. I mean, yeah. I don't know. What would you, what would you say? <laughs> I don't know. It just uh, I've never heard it sit, uh, said, said like that, that? Yeah. yeah. But uh, damn, was she like, what's her thing? She's gone to like the slots? I don't know if it was, I don't know. She's just going to casinos and gambling away all her, all her money. Yeah, not great. Well, not even all her money, all her husband's money, but you know, whatever. So there was that. And on top of that, they were still spending like an astronomical amount on things they didn't need. Like Louise would brag to her family that David would buy a brand new Mustang every single year, which you don't need. Don't need <laughs> I can, that. I can say confidently, you don't need a brand new Mustang every single year, but that's what they were doing. And by this time, their oldest daughter, Jennifer, started going to school and was in the first grade, but was getting bullied really, really badly. Kids would make fun of her because she smelled really bad. And she was just this little first grader. And every time she would walk by, a classmate would like pinch their nose and be like, ew, Jennifer, you stink and blah, blah, blah. Like they would really, you know, they weren't quiet about it. They were mean her little kids, kids. Dicks. yeah and she was two years older than all her classmates she had a foul odor she had this long always greasy hair that was never brushed she was missing her two front teeth and she would wear the same pair of jean overalls and white floral top every single day and was also visibly very frail wow yeah i'm that's such a she's just so different just a target for sure well yeah not only is she like very different from all of her classmates in that but she also has multiple signs that something is wrong yeah. like what i want to know is how did not one teacher or adult at that school say anything because i know that it was like you know 1980 whatever and times were different but as an adult 
how do you see this child coming to school every single day in the same clothing? You, they're dirty, they, they're smelly, and you know, whatever, and all the kids are bullying them, and they, they look like they're starving, and you don't say anything. Yeah. It's, it's, I, this could have been stopped here, you know? Mm-hmm. This could have been, this could have been over right here. Yeah, because like, if in first grade, is that what she's in? Yeah. Like, you don't know how to do your own hygiene when you're in first grade. This is right. a complete reflection of, the, of parents. the parents' treatment of their own child. Exactly. Like, if you can't even bathe your child, what else can you not do? She's wearing the same clothes every day. Yeah. And, like, I know that, you know, when it comes to that, like, it could have been a money problem, whatever. Like, you know, maybe she couldn't afford different clothes and whatever. Okay. But that's not true. But, yeah. Because her parents were going out and spending lavishly on themselves. She was gambling away all her money. They're buying a Mustang every single year. They're going to dinner every night. Like, they had money. They had yeah. a nice house in a nice neighborhood. Yep. And this little girl is coming to school smelling, dirty, wearing the same clothes, missing teeth, and looks like she's starving. So I'm already very angry because this this could have been ended right here. Yeah. The other thing that really pisses me off is like the just non-intervention of any of the teachers or adults at school when a child is being bullied. Yeah. And like they see it. Yeah. And it, like especially it's like they were being very obvious about it. Yeah. They were. Nothing is done. And she would be sent to the principal. Like Jennifer would be sent to the principal for, you know whatever reason because she smelled or whatever and they would just send her back to class and the the saddest part of all of this is that little jennifer first grade probably six or seven or eight year old jennifer i don't know how old you are was known to be kind and energetic she was a kind little girl who was just dealt the shittiest hand like what it just makes me so sad yeah (laughs) i yeah So, but she was still definitely an outcast and most of her classmates just kind of avoided her, which is very sad. So by 1995, Louise had her fourth child. And by this time, David and Louise and her four children traveled to visit Louise's family. They dressed their children all in identical outfits. And this is when Louise's family started to notice weird things about the family. Her sister, Teresa, recalled that her sister and David were overly strict with their children. For starters, the kids would all walk in a straight line. Teresa said that it was more like a school than it was a family or, you know, like a military training kind of thing. Like they were, they were like really strict. And her kids also had to ask to use the bathroom or get something to eat, eat or drink. Like they had to ask for every single thing. They couldn't do anything on their own. Her family thought this was a little weird, but nothing super alarming at this point. They're just like, okay, they're overly strict that's the end of the story yeah but like overly strict is kind of an understatement if you have to ask for food yeah or ask to go to the bathroom i don't know yep and so during that trip louise's sister elizabeth asked if she would be able to spend the summer with them because you know she didn't have a job tying her down and she was like can i stay with you guys So pretty much immediately, Elizabeth started to see things that weren't great in her sister's seemingly perfect life. So the first thing she was exposed to was Louise's gambling addiction and their money problems. She also immediately noticed that Louise and David never showed any love or affection toward their children. No I love yous, no hugs, barely any touching, and she wouldn't even really hold her baby. So what? How does she, how does you raise a bait, like a child? You have to touch them to feed them, change their diaper. Yeah. I mean, it was like, absolutely. Did they have a nanny? No. Did they? No. Um, well, I'm just asking, no. like you have to touch your child to feed it. Yeah, no, for sure. But I mean, these children weren't taken care of. This is. I get yeah. it. So the kids also had yeah. to, you know, like we said, ask to do anything, like go to the bathroom, ask to eat, or even leave their bedroom. So they were in their bedrooms for like most of the, like most of the day. They were like pretty much locked in their bedrooms. So that was when Elizabeth was there. Also, their dinner time was kind of this really big production. So Louise would set the table and then she'd call the children one by one to come to the table. And then once they were at the table, Jennifer would have to stand, look her mother in the eye and smile. And then once the smile was returned, Jennifer could sit down and then she would have to wait for permission to eat. Then once Jennifer was done eating, she'd have to stand up, smile at her mother again. And then once the smile was returned, she was allowed to leave and return to her room. So this was every single night, this big production. 
very weird. What? This is like a prison. Yes. Yes, it is. So the children spent most of their time confined to their rooms. They only spent time out of their rooms when their parents allowed it, and they were only able to interact with Elizabeth when Louise was present. So they couldn't talk to their aunt. They were re- It was really like, spoke when you're spoken to, and you can't talk to Elizabeth without me here. Elizabeth and the children rarely spoke because Louise didn't really want them interacting. Her ex- of course. Right. Her explanation for all of this was that she was trying to protect the children and she didn't want Elizabeth's beliefs to influence the children in any way. Mm-hmm. Also, she probably just didn't want the children saying anything that I mean, Elizabeth I get would it, write. But like, what are Elizabeth's beliefs that you don't have? Are they, they were both very religious, no? Yeah, but I think at this point, Louise is kind of branching out from her religious upbringing. Oh, okay. But that, you know, it's, it's some bullshit. It's bullshit. Yeah, Yeah. I know, but. So Elizabeth quickly became uncomfortable in the home, but never confronted Louise or David about anything. And she soon noticed that it took very little to enrage David. Um, If Louise did anything he didn't want her to do, he'd get really, really mad and would physically abuse Louise in front of their children. He also didn't want Louise and Elizabeth doing anything without, without him. So Louise didn't want the children talking to Elizabeth without her present, and David didn't want Louise and Elizabeth to do anything without him present. So it was like this chain of command, you know? Wow. Very weird. Doesn't he have to go to work, though? Yes. And she just can't talk to Elizabeth then? Pretty much. I mean, like, I mean, I don't know, but it it kind of seems that way. So Rick Ross, who is an expert on cults, considered David Turpin to be a cult leader, and his home was cultic in nature and the children could only refer to their parents as a father as father and mother they had a ton of rules to follow and they established that they were that there was no need for them to leave the home even after the age of 18 so even when they became legal age they remained in the home living like children so they were just they they had these children like locked in this house essentially and they didn't know anything else Not long after moving in with them, Elizabeth got a job, and from there, things got only worse. And David and Louise told Elizabeth that she could never bring any friends over or even say where she lived, and she had a very strict set of rules, and if she broke any of them, they told her they'd just kick her out. They don't care. So things also became inappropriate. One day, while Elizabeth Elizabeth was taking a shower, Louise picked the lock on the door with a coat hanger, And then she and David went into the bathroom and watched Elizabeth take a shower. And she was extremely uncomfortable with this, but Louise and David would just laugh at her embarrassment and kind of just try to play off that it was like a joke. But this wasn't an isolated occurrence, and it would happen often. Elizabeth grew up in this extremely abusive situation, as Louise did as well, so she never did anything to really try to stop it, because at this point she was so used to tolerating this kind of treatment. And the abuse was definitely normalized for her. One day, Elizabeth got lunch with a friend from work after a shift, but when she called Louise to pick her up, she never answered. Elizabeth was told never to socialize, and for three days, Louise wouldn't pick up the phone, and Elizabeth slept on benches and went to work in the same clothes. When Louise finally answered the phone, she told Elizabeth to go back to Tennessee, where I guess she was living before, and she was only allowed to go back to their home to get her things before leaving for good. So Elizabeth is now gone. And by 1997, Louise had her fifth child, and Jennifer started the second grade. Over that summer, her hygiene had only gotten worse, uh, and a classmate recalled that she smelled like dirty clothes and urine. And Wait, so this all happened in, like, a year? Yeah, that was wow. a year. Yeah. And at this point, she was showing signs of abuse, you know, obviously, before she was showing signs of abuse, like, you know, she wasn't Neglect. clean, whatever. But now she's kind of showing some signs of, like potential sexual abuse and so that is another thing that the teachers didn't pick up on and didn't say anything for and she was sent to the office once before because of this but nothing was done and she was just sent back to class so the weird part is at home jennifer had a closet full of expensive dresses her closet was full of dresses that ranged anywhere from 200 to 400 dollars each and none of these dresses had ever even been touched They still had the tags on them and they were just collecting dust in the closet. So she had clothes, you know, she had these things, but they didn't give them to her. And she just, it was all a show. It was all a show. So in 1998, Louise had her sixth child. And by that time, Jennifer would have been in the third grade, but she never went back to school. There was no real excuse given to the school, but she just never showed back up and nobody did anything about it. 
I Are you fucking kidding me? No. You have to go to school till you're 16, right? I I don't know. I, I mean, you have to go to school. It's, it's the law, you know? Are they, are they like claiming she's being homeschooled or just like literally nothing? They eventually did say that they were homeschooling the kids, but Jennifer was the only kid to ever go to school and she had a third grade or a second grade education level. I mean, and like, I don't know, how, how well can you do in school under these conditions? Are you fucking kidding me? Well, it's not even about that. It's like the fact that like, they pulled her out of school and then never taught their children ever, th- ever, anything. I know, but I'm just saying, like, how much can you learn anyway? Oh, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, so instead of David teaching the children, they decided that Louise would, you know, teach them, quote unquote, even though she had dropped out of high school at, like, 16. So, really, best case scenario, if Elizabeth, or if Louise did actually teach their children she only had education up to the age of 16 anyway you know but she didn't she didn't teach her children it was all it was all for show you know it was all just excuses and at this point louise's gambling addiction had led to the couple needing to file for bankruptcy and losing their home when the home was sold new sellers found that from the outside the house looked great but on the inside it was absolutely filthy there was filth everywhere there was urine and feces caked into the carpets there was large dark stains and scratches on the walls and it it took the owners three months to clean out the house and they assumed that there were animals being kept in the house uh and they didn't have any idea that it was from children oh my god yeah Chills. scratches on the wall yes urine and feces everywhere everywhere Ugh. yeah the family then moved to this really small town in texas that had a population of like 700 people so their closest neighbors were like miles away and they lived in this bubble and they really brainwashed these children into being terrified of the outside world these children weren't even allowed to tell anyone their names so they did have this one family as their neighbors uh ricky lee and shelly vineyard lived across the street uh with their two young daughters so like it was pretty much just these two houses and then everything else was like really far away At first, Ricky and Shelly's daughters were super excited that they had a bunch of kids their age as their new neighbors. But one afternoon, when a few of the kids were outside in the yard, Ashley and Barbara, who were their two girls, the the daughters, went across the street and went over to play with them. But the Turpin children wouldn't even tell the girls their names. Anytime the girls would ask about their family or anything personal, the children would clam up and not say a word. So when Shelly... The girl's mother came over to talk to the kids on one occasion. She was completely taken aback at the sight of one of the girl's hands. She said they were paper white. And when Shelly said, oh, I thought you were wearing gloves to this, you know, Turpin child, the girl responded in a kind of like robotic tone saying, you wash to the wrist or else you're wasting water. What the fuck? This is like out of a horror movie. Yes. So these children only washed their hands ever, pretty much. (sighs) Yep. So the kids played together for a few weeks, but after Louise found out that Ashley and Barbara were asking these kids personal questions, they weren't allowed to see them again. And they remained in that house for the next 10 years. And the neighbors did think the Turpins were weird and after time did see some really concerning things, but they said everyone just kind of minded their own business. And so they never said anything. Uh, I hate that. Yep. So now we're going to go into the next phase of the Turpin children's lockdown. The children slept during the day and were only allowed out of their rooms to use the bathroom. And they were nocturnal at this point. They would wake up at 11 p.m. and pretty much go back to sleep at like 3 or 4 a.m. And then they were asleep all day long and then they would wake up at like 11 again. Wow. So the house would be quiet all day long. And then at night, all the lights would be on in the house, but the curtains were drawn. And the kids would sometimes be allowed to go outside at night and play in the yard. But again, that didn't last very long either. And when it was time to eat, they were allowed into the kitchen one by one. They were allowed to brush their teeth, but had never been to a dentist. And in 2001, their youngest was bitten in the face by one of their dogs. But emergency services wasn't called for a whole 24 hours afterward. A day after this dog bite, an ambulance was called and the little girl was given stitches. And even though this was reported to the sheriff's office, no officers were ever sent and there was no follow-ups with the family. You fucking kidding me. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, you were right. The incompetence, well, like... Just the incompetence at every level. Yeah. Like, there were so many people that could have done something. Yes. Oh, it's going to get worse, too. Yeah, it's going to get worse. Louise would often send photos of the children to her family, and in each picture, the children were all clean 
and wearing matching outfits. That was like her thing. The entire family would wear matching outfits everywhere. I mean, not everywhere, just in pictures, you know? And after seeing one of these pictures, Louise's sister, Teresa, said the children looked noticeably frail, but Louise's excuse to this was they were all just going to be tall and lanky, just like their father. So Teresa dropped it. Meanwhile, eating was never a problem for Louise and David. They would still go out to eat at nice, the nicest restaurants, and they never brought their children. And Christmas of that year, David and Louise brought all the, or bought all the kids expensive bikes, but the kids were never allowed to ride them. They would all just set them out for the neighbors to see with the price tag still on and the handle uh, still on the handlebars so people would know they had money but the children never rode them in may of 2004 david and louise bought a double wide trailer that they put on their property about 150 feet from the house and the family then abandoned the house and all moved into this trailer because again their home wasn't even fit for animals to live there because it was filthy by 2006, David and Louise had 12 children, and David had started a new form of punishment. He had constructed a cage that was seven feet wide by five feet tall and was divided in half so two kids could be punished at once. The walls of this cage were lined with, um, you know, that like pegboard thing with holes in it that you yeah. see in like garages for hanging tools. So it was that, it was lined with that. And this was all over the walls of the cage and only a small five inch gap at the bottom was left for food. And the kids would be kept in these cages for days at a time and it was secured with a padlock. One of the children who was 12 at the time was able to escape by lifting up the bottom and crawling out. But David's response to this was to get a dog kennel that was also secured with a padlock. And the kennel was divided into three by three sections, and it was too small for any of the children to stand in. One of the boys who was 16 said he was locked in this kennel for over a day after his mother caught him watching Star Wars on video. After a few years of living in the trailer, David and Louise fully abandoned their children for four years. They what? left. They left them there, and the two of them and two of the, their youngest children got an apartment 40 miles south of where that trailer was. The two oldest children were put in charge, and every few days, David would stop by and deliver frozen food. Louise never visited them. For four years, these 10 children were left to fend for themselves. And they all had pets, or they had pets as well, and the pets would frequently go to the bathroom in the house, and the children were instructed never to wash above the wrist. What the fuck? I've been, like, mouth open this entire time. Yeah. They've abandoned 10 of their children. Yes. They deliver frozen food, mm -hmm. and that's it. Yes. Uh, and and also, these children were brainwashed because, again, they had no education, and they only listened to mother and father. And even though they were 40 miles away, they still, like, told their children what to do. And Jennifer, and I believe his name was Joshua, the, oldest, the two oldest who were in charge, would still discipline the children by putting them in cages and would only feed them, you know, a little bit because that's what they're told, their parents told them to do. And, and they're living in filth. They're living in filth. Yeah. In this tiny trailer. Like... Ten children. Yes. Where are the neighbors still here? Where yes. are the neighbors? Yeah, exactly. They're seeing this shit happen. Exactly. I mean, they, they weren't seeing exactly what was happening because, again, they were pretty much nocturnal. So the neighbors would only ever see them or hear them at night. And during the daytime, it was, it was dead. It was quiet. No one would come out. Jennifer and Joshua wanted so badly to escape, but they were also terrified of disobeying their parents. So one day, Jennifer worked up enough courage to leave the house, and she literally ran as far away as she could. Shelly, who was still her neighbor at this point, was driving one of her daughters to school when she saw Jennifer running toward her car. She stopped and picked up Jennifer and said that Jennifer wouldn't tell her her name or her age and didn't even know who was president at the time. She asked Shelly how she could get a car, a job, and an apartment. So Shelly drove her into town to look for work. Jennifer did try to get a job, but since she didn't have any ID, she wouldn't give her name and literally no social skills, no one would hire her. So since she had no idea what she could even do next, she, the only thing she had left to do was call her mother who picked her up. Oh no. Authorities said that this attempt at running away should have raised red flags and someone should have looked into this, but no one ever did. No shit. Right. In 2008, when Louise turned 40, she had this kind of midlife crisis. She and David started checking out other religions. Louise started attending a Cobra church. 
Have you ever heard of a cobra church? Cobra church. They have a church where there's like snakes involved. She's really losing it. She got really into snakes. She also got into witchcraft, Satanism, and the occult, and would regularly try to cast spells and use the Ouija board to contact the dead. She and David also decided to open up their marriage and become swingers, and they were going back on gambling trips to Las Vegas, bought new cars, went out drinking all the time, and they also bought expensive gifts for the children, but they were never opened or played with. What's the fucking point? What are you doing? Torture. I know, but yeah. again. At, at this point, there was a debt collector showing up at their property with a bounty on them since they basically stole cars and seemed like they were going to plan, they were, seemed like they were planning on skipping town. So they were like really, really in debt and they used like their last little bit of credit to get like cars. And then because they had no, pretty much no way of paying back these credit companies, they were like, okay, you're stealing these cars and you're going to skip town so they were like trying to get them about a month later though uh, david and louise returned to this property for the first time in years and loaded up their 12 children into a van and left in the middle of the night they took as much as they could but they left all their pets and they drove away in the middle of the night weeks later when the neighbors finally tried to knock on their doors because now the debt collectors were bothering them they heard you know animals inside and they opened the doors to let them out They believed the dog survived after weeks by eating dirty diapers and drinking the water out of the toilets, which were now empty at this point. They said the house smelled like death. And it was the same thing. There was filth and human excrement everywhere, and it didn't seem like any living thing should have been there, ever. And again, Ricky, the neighbor, did go through the house and the trailer and saw the state that they were in and never contacted anyone to look into the family. He and his wife have said that they feel terrible about this now, but nothing was ever done for these children, even when people saw how bad it actually was, and they knew that children were living in this home. So... Unconscionable. You can't, in good conscience, do nothing. That's what I mean. Oh, yes, yes. Like... Yeah, but they were like, oh, everyone minds their business out here. That, shut you, the fuck up. You've seen his house. You've seen the inside of his house. Even if before, you, you know, your neighbors were weird and they never came outside and whatever and you had no idea what was going on. At this point, you have no excuse because you have seen the inside of this house where you know 12 children were living. That is insane. That is absolutely unexcusable. That is evil. <laughs> That's Yeah, but like you see a crime happening. Yes. Like... And you are just going to, quote, mind your own business. Right. Like if somebody got shot in the face in front of your house, You're like, would you mind it. your own business? Right. Yeah. No, you would call the cops. Exactly. This is what you should do. Yeah. I don't know how, but they moved to a large house in Southern California after this. They were still very much in debt, but they kept up this image of being the perfect family. And while at the same time, Louise was doing everything she could to distance her children from her family because she knew that, you know, the more contact she had, the harder it would be to keep up this facade while also literally abusing her children to the highest extent. So these children were being homeschooled, quote unquote, and David got a license to a license or something to classify his homeschooling as a private school, or that's what they called it. That way, no one would ever be able to question why his 10 school age children never attended school. Later, he even bought a two-story house that he named Sandcastle Day School, and he listed himself as the principal and said that he had eight students to avoid a visit from social workers. They are going to such like great lengths to keep up this image that way they can continue to abuse their children like i can't even wrap my head around how evil a person has to be to go through that much trouble to not be visited by a social worker so you can keep putting your children in cages like and not feeding them i don't get it i don't get it it seems like Louise had this upbringing, so like she seems to like have been normalized. To it's, this that's type no of shit. excuse. That is no I, it's excuse. It's not an excuse. But what the fuck is the husband? David. What, what is David? They're evil people. The, I don't like. Where the, did that come from? Like he was just. It must have been just like fucking born with it. Like I just don't understand yes. how you seemingly had such this. Like you got everything. Right. And then you do. You take this. Like, it just doesn't make sense. Well, the thing is, is like. And I, I'm I'm sure I've said this before, but people can go through trauma and still be good people in the future. You know, trauma doesn't make 
you an evil person. Yes, but David has gone through no trauma. No, but that's, but yeah, I mean, David aside, I'm talking about Louise. Like, just because that's not an excuse. Just because, and I know you're not saying it's an excuse, but I'm just saying, like, even though Louise went through some terrible trauma in her childhood, which is terrible, and no child should ever, ever have to go through that, but that is not an excuse for the way she is treating her children in the future. She is an evil, evil person who should rot in in hell forever or wherever i don't know she should die anyway jennifer had the highest level of education and she has was at a third grade level all of the other children had the education of about a kindergartner and it remained that way throughout their entire time under the care of their parents could they read no wow yep over time the punishment they used only got worse the children would be locked up in their rooms and on many occasions would be tied or chained to the furniture After Louise's midlife crisis, she began to get more involved in the children's lives, which is not a good thing, and which would mean that she'd be around more often and would physically abuse the children and was angry all the time. The children were terrified of her. They would spend 20 hours a day locked in their rooms. They were fed the absolute bare minimum to keep them alive, and they had no access to TV, radio, or newspapers, so they were completely cut off from the outside world. They had no idea what anything was like they had they didn't know what a normal family even looked like they had no concept of what normal could have been something really odd was david and louise encouraged the kids to keep journals about their daily lives which i guess was literally their only form of entertainment i guess could read oh yes i guess they could write and read i guess but i don't really know how because they only had the education of a kindergartner so i don't know But on one occasion, some of the teen girls went into their parents' room and used some of Louise's makeup and put on her clothes. But when they were caught, David's idea of punishment was chaining up all 12 children. Jonathan would steal food when he was hungry, and he was punished by hog-tying him, but he bit through the ropes and escaped. So he gnawed through ropes. After that, because the ropes didn't work, they chained him to the bed rail, but he managed to slip out of that. So Louise and David got bigger and thicker chains. And throughout the next six years, they would leave him chained up for weeks or even months at a time. Months. That left permanent damage to his spine. Louise's temper was very short, and sometimes there would be no reason at all for her to go into a blind rage. And one of her forms of punishment was called pitching. This is the children called it pitching. Um, This was when she would throw her children around by their hair. And she would also choke them, punch them in the head, and slap them in the face. She once caught her seven-year-old daughter doing something she wasn't supposed to do and threw her around the room and down the stairs. She could barely move for days, but was never treated for her injuries and was never brought to a hospital. Despite all of this, around this time was when Louise and David started a joint Facebook account where they would post pictures of themselves and their children all dressed up in identical clothing, looking like the perfect family. They had an annual pass to Disney World for the whole family, and Louise would dress up the children in identical clothing to take a picture and post it on Facebook for everyone to see. There was also photos of just David and Louise at Disney World without their children, and their profile was David and Louise looking lovingly into each other's eyes. What the fuck can you say about that? It's that, That's what I mean. Like, they're pure evil. They are. They know what they were doing. They knew everything. Obviously, I mean, they're, they're, they're full-grown adults. They knew what they were doing, but like you can now see just how sinister it is. Like, they would post pictures. These children wouldn't, they were only allowed to shower once a year. I don't, like, I was going to talk about that later. I mean, it comes up later, but they showered once a year. And, you know, they were barely fed. But at the same time, they were dressed up in identical clothing and taken a picture and posted it online. And people would be like, beautiful family, so perfect, blah, blah, blah. Like, they, like, how do you do, I, I, (sighs) yeah you know okay it this is a it's gonna be kind of a long story but let's just keep going um louise was also obsessed with the reality tv show kate plus eight and said that one of the main reasons she moved her family to california was so that they could get their own reality tv show because she said they'd be perfect for reality tv and would be much better than kate plus eight She's delusional. (laughs) Jesus Christ. They would use their children as props for these photos and post them on Facebook. I mean, obviously. So now we're in 2011 
and David's brother Randy and his family came to visit David and Louise. David's niece Miranda was especially excited because she had never met her cousins before, and she bonded the most with David's daughter Jordan. Jordan confided in her and told her that she dreamed of singing professionally. She told Miranda that she had written 141 songs and her most recent one was for Miranda. Miranda loved this and asked Jordan if she could post videos of her singing, and Jordan was so excited. This is, you know, not really that important to the story, but I just wanted to take a moment. We're going to take a moment to breathe. And also, Jordan is the reason that the children are okay today, and she would, like, post videos of her singing on YouTube, like, secretly. So, it's just, yeah. She wrote 141 songs. Yeah. Yeah. That's wild. I know. But after that, things went back to their normal. There were a few instances where kids got sick enough or hurt enough that they needed to go to the hospital. And every time, Louise would coach them on what to say in order not to raise any red flags. The children's two small meals a day turned into one, and they were forbidden from exercising. Jennifer would cook the children's meals and would call the children down one by one in order in an order that Louise specified, and the children would eat standing up at the kitchen counter one by one and have a little bit of tap water. They would either eat a peanut butter sandwich, a jalapeno bologna sandwich, or a burrito and chips. That was it. And once they were finished eating, they returned to their bedrooms. Meanwhile, Louise and David ate great. They would order pizza or get subs or Mexican food, and they would get various pies, and they would put them on the counter for the children to look at, but never touched. The children would literally have to watch these pies mold over time and then get thrown out. So they would never touch them. They would just leave them there for the children to look at, and then they would mold, and then they would throw out. And they never were allowed to have any of their parents' food, and the parents would order this food and then eat it in front of them. These children were only allowed, like I said earlier, one bath a year. They never changed their clothes and would often soil themselves when they were chained up for hours on end. So they were literally sitting in their feces and, you know, pee. In 2013, Louise gave birth to her 13th and final child. At this point, Louise would only post photos of Jana, who was the final child, on social media. When her friends and family started to ask why, she would make up, you know, whatever excuse. By this time, Jordan, who was 15 years old, decided that she was going to escape from her parents' house. It would take her two more years to be able to break free from her parents, but at this point, the seed has been planted. She is planning on escaping. During the Christmas season of 2015, Louise and David gave their children, quote, good treatment. That was their Christmas gift. This would last anywhere from two to two days to two weeks, and the children were allowed out of their rooms, they could eat a little bit more, they played games, and they spent some quality time together. However, this didn't really last long, and they soon returned to their normal. Shockingly, Louise enrolled Joshua in a few classes at Mount St. Jacinto College. He took about 15 credits a semester and did really well. He was even on the honor roll. What? I don't know. I don't know how that is. Is it college? Yeah, I don't know. Um, Louise would drop him off and pick him up, and sometimes she'd walk him from class to class and wait in the hallway. His classmates said the same thing you'd expect. Joshua Joshua was very introverted, very skinny. Many of his classmates thought that he was just very poor and starving. He smelled bad. Uh, He had perpetual bedhead, and there was obviously something off about him. One day, one of his classmates talked to him, and she walked Joshua out to the parking lot where Louise was waiting for him by her big van. He told his mother that this classmate didn't have any friends either, and he asked if that they could be friends, or if they could be friends. He was like, she doesn't have friends either. Can can we be friends, please? Uh, And Louise just kind of sized her up and said, yeah, sure, whatever. Then Joshua got in the car, they drove off, and he never returned to classes after this. Now we're going to skip forward to 2017. Both of Louise's parents have passed away at this point, and she had no real relationship with her sisters. She would take out her anger on her youngest child, her, her youngest children, and there was really no way of predicting what would set her off, and they were all terrified of her. That Christmas season, Joshua had gotten a new cell phone, and so he had given his old one to Jordan. Because, okay, so what was happening was Jennifer and Joshua and, like, the oldest of the children were rewarded if they told on their younger siblings. So if someone did something and they reported it to their parents, they were given a reward. So because of that, Jennifer and Joshua kind of got a little bit of better treatment sometimes, and Joshua had a cell phone. And now he had a a new cell phone, so he gave his old one to Jordan. It was deactivated, 
but she could still access the internet with her Wi-Fi in her home. And she had heard about social media from Jennifer and was able to set up fake accounts under the name Lacey Swan. She She connected with Justin Bieber fans and animal rights activists. She created an Instagram account, and most daring of all, she created a YouTube channel where she posted videos of herself singing the songs that she had written. She also had met a boy from India online who she confided in, and he encouraged her to escape and notify authorities. At this time, David had gotten the news that he would be transferred again to Oklahoma, but Jordan knew that if they moved to Oklahoma, nothing would change. And David and Louise agreed that they were just going to chain all of the children up once they got into the new house in Oklahoma, and they were about to move in the next few days. So Jordan knows that if she doesn't do something right now, she's going to move to Oklahoma, and it's just going to be worse. Like, it's just going to keep going. At least five of the kids knew about this early morning escape plan, and they knew that there was this place called Vegas, and it was one of the happiest times that they had had in their life. So they were like, we need to get to Vegas because the parents renewed their vows like a couple of times and they took the children to Vegas and like took pictures of them in Vegas. They're all in matching dresses, matching whatever. And they were like, we need to get to Vegas because that's where the happiness is. And this was just ingrained in their heads. And on the morning of January 14th, 2017, Jordan escaped the family home through the first story bedroom window. Before she left, She faked a lump in her bed to make it look like she was still sleeping there. And she ran down the road and called 911 with her noose or with Joshua's old cell phone. Even though it was deactivated, she was still able to call emergency services because that's still a thing you can do. And she told the dispatcher her name and that her parents are abusive. She said two of her siblings were tied up right now at home. And the the dispatcher asked a few questions, one of them being is anyone on any medication? And Jordan told her she didn't even know what medication was. Wow, that's gotta be chilling. Yeah, and actually you can hear this 911 call if you like look it up. She sounds like a seven-year-old. Like she's 17 years old and she sounds like an absolute child. It's very chilling to hear. Yeah, but I mean, not surprising. No, right? it's not, but I'm just saying like it's it's insane. So Jordan also told her that they live in filth and sometimes it's so dirty that when she wakes up she can't breathe so after this call the police are sent to the home and david and louise were arrested on site finally police were horrified but what by what they found inside the home first of all it was filthy like feces and urine everywhere kind of filthy it looked like a hoarder house there was just stuff everywhere the children were scattered in different rooms and multiple of them were chained up The three of them who were chained to their beds had been there since October and it was January. So that's, they were only like let go from these chains to brush their teeth. And that's pretty much it. They were allowed to like get up and use the bathroom a couple times, but really not that much. Agents from CPS and APS, uh, which is Child Protective Services and Adult Protective Services, showed up to take the children into care immediately. Because again, not all of these children are child age. There's a good amount of them that are over 18 at this point. And the children were malnourished and taken out of the house in their PJs. The officers watched after them and ordered them all food, and they were hooked up to IVs and started antibiotics immediately. Over the next few hours, CPS and APS spoke with the children, and all of the children looked like they had the mental capacity of someone a lot younger than they actually were. Police were shocked to find out that seven of the children that they found were actually adults ranging in age from 18 to 29 years old. 29. Jennifer was 29 years old at that time. She was 29 and 5'3 and weighed 80 pounds. All of the children were anywhere from 20 to 50 pounds underweight. Jordan, who made the 911 call, was 17 at the time, but from hearing the call, she sounded like a nine-year-old, or, you know, like I said earlier. That when they were asked who was the head boss in charge, they all agreed that it was their mother. The children were showered and their clothes were taken as evidence. David and Louise Turpin were transferred to the Robert Presley Detention Center in Riverside, California, and they were charged with nine counts of torture and and 10 counts of child endangerment, and their bail was set at $9 million each. So they were not going to get out of this one with freaking credit, you know? Like, (laughs) yeah. When they were taken away in handcuffs by the police, David cried uncontrollably, but Louise smirked at the cops and spat at the ground twice at them dude i if i was the arresting officer i don't know how you could hold back the like urge to just bash her head yeah i don't know i don't know hospital staff actually 
paid out of their own pockets to buy clothing for these children, and they had their own wing of the hospital with a 24-hour guard stationed at the entrance. The hospital also approached the Corona Chamber of Commerce for assistance and were able to raise thousands of dollars and get the children new clothes, shoes, games, and toiletries. From that point on, more and more care packages arrived to the hospital for them. Hospital staff taught the children basic skills like washing their faces and brushing their teeth and, you know, brushing their hair. And they also experienced fresh produce for the first time in their life in the hospital. The children were hesitant at first, but they tried blueberries, strawberries, and raspberries. And the first time they saw a tomato, they were scared of it. But a nurse ate one to show the kids that it was fine to eat. And after they tried it and they loved it. I'm getting, I'm, I know, this I'm has starting me, to tear up. This has me fucked up. I'm about to cry. Um, okay, the Chamber of Commerce gave each child a bag of new clothing and raised $200,000 for them. One of Jennifer's former classmates wrote to her on a Facebook page and apologized for joining in with the students who would bully her. It said, quote, It is nothing but sobering to know that the person that sat across from you at the lunch table went home to squalor and filth when you went home to a warm meal and a bedtime story. A simple act of kindness and acceptance may be the ray of hope that person needs. Befriend the Jennifer Turpins of the world. Which I just wanted to put in there because that is so true. Like, you know, you, you don't kick someone when they're down, especially a kid. I know kids are so mean and whatever, but like, God, you know, you, you got to befriend people like that. You got to be that light for them. <sighs> Donations continued to pour in and members of the Rotary Club donated iPads for the children to start use, using as learning tools. And even a homeless man donated to these children. He gave $2.38 and said to tell the children that the world is watching and they love them. At their parents' sentencing, the public heard from the Turpin children for the first time. Jennifer started by saying, My parents took my whole life from me, but now I'm taking my life back. But most of the children's statements spoke positively about their parents, including one saying that sentencing of 25 years to life was too long. These children even forgave their parents. Joshua Turpin, who was 27 at the time, read one of his younger sister's statements that said, I love both of my parents so much. Although it may not have been the best way of raising us, I'm glad that they did because it made me the person I am today. Jessica also said, I want to thank them for teaching me about God and faith. I hope that they never lose faith. God looks at the heart. I know he sees theirs. So these children are brainwashed to the highest degree. They have no concept of what a normal life or positive treatment should look like. So they're they're sad. They don't want their their parents to go to jail. They don't know what is is the reality of the situation, you know? It's chilling. It's it's I don't even know what else to say about it. It's just chilling. In her statement, Joy Turpin, who was one of the daughters, said every year from as far back as I can remember, our parents tried to give us the nicest Christmas they could. And she said that their mother didn't want to tie them up with ropes and chains, but it was necessary because they consumed too much sugar and caffeine. And, you know, they had this sugar and caffeine because they, their father once fell asleep and crashed while he was driving. So they think it's their fault. They think that them being tied up and chained up for months at a time is their fault. That's where their heads are at. While the Turpin children's statements provided a nuanced and forgiving portrait of the family, Riverside Judge Bernard J. Schwartz, in his final statements before sentencing, was more absolute in condemning the abusive parents. He said, If they do thrive, it will not be because of you both, but in spite of you both. The only reason your punishment is less than the maximum is because you spared your children the humiliation of testifying. In February of 2019, both parents pled guilty on 14 felony accounts, including cruelty to a dependent adult, child cruelty, torture, and false imprisonment. And in April of the same year, they were sentenced to life imprisonment with the possibility of parole in 25 years. Although experts believe that they will never receive parole due to the severity of the crime, making it effectively a life sentence. Oh, like, so do you mean the fine like the ultimate punishment meaning the death penalty like they were spared of the death penalty because their children didn't have to testify yeah i guess they they took a deal basically being like okay we'll 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 plead guilty that way we can end the trial sooner how is it not life i mean period? it is it pretty much is but it's it's not exactly life but it is life you know 
Yeah, I just don't like that it's pretty much life. Yeah. Because, like, you still, like, if you are up for parole, you still have to have, like, a hearing, right? Uh, yeah. Like, I don't even yeah. think they deserve that. No, they don't. They definitely don't. And during the trial, like, David was crying and Louise was crying and they, like, mouthed I'm sorry to the children and the, the children, like, accepted their apology. And, you know, like, they're putting on a show even in the courtroom. Louise is an evil person. David is an... They're evil on earth like they're evil evil people yeah i mean of course they are doing that i mean yeah of course but i mean but... I, seeing them cry in in the videos of that you know courtroom is it just made my blood boil like it i i wanted to punch them through the screen yeah and like these <sighs> these children are gonna take so long to yeah. recover and come around and like yeah realize what monsters their parents are yeah i mean it's going to be easier for the younger children because they didn't have as many years yeah, um but Jennifer for had 29 almost 30 years she had of... 29 years joshua had 27 years yeah and i don't know i can't i still am so shocked that he was able to take 15 college credits and do well I know. that shows extreme intelligence despite yeah his circumstances and education like Absolutely. that's just mind-bending mm -hmm. but like probably is one of the only good like i don't even want to say good but like just like a bright thing yeah that happened yeah that's kind of why i like wanted to include the little things about like yeah. jordan having her that good experience with her cousin and you know the youtube channel and joshua going to college because like it it's just you gotta grasp onto something you know yeah it is, it is, ugh, I don't know. I don't have any more words about that. But Jessica enrolled in college and lives in an apartment and she's getting a bike, she's getting around by bike and public transportation. Joshua said that he's working toward a bachelor's degree in software engineering and plans to continue on to graduate school. He said that he still has nightmares about being chained up uh, in his home, but he said that this is the past and this is now, or that was the past and this is now. And in the past year of freedom, he said that he's learned to bike, swim, and cook healthy meals. He said, I love my parents and have forgiven them uh, for a lot of the things that they did to us. Since January, I've learned so much and have become very independent. And, you know, the, the younger children were taken into foster homes and are, you know, getting help as well. Riverside County Deputy District Attorney Kevin Beecham, who was part of the prosecution in the case against the parents, David and Louise Turpin, told people that the children have made positive progress. He said they're all happy. They are moving on with their lives. And several of the adult children have been living on their own while others in the group are in group homes and the six youngest ones have been adopted. The younger ones didn't have as many years of abuse or neglect, so they are able to rebound a little bit better. The siblings have also been taking care of their mental health and all 13 of them are still meeting together. Uh, and some of them have changed their names to be you know, a little bit more private. They are receiving really good help with therapy, counseling, and a lot of psychological assistance. They are exponentially in a better place than they were before. And uh, he said, they want people to know that they are survivors. They want to be independent now. And that is the story of the Turpin family. Yeah. This is just another story that like, I don't know, I feel like proves that there's like no bottom to how evil a person can be. It's yeah. just like, as soon as you think that there's some, like, this is the worst, there's like another situation that proves that wrong. Yeah. Um, and I, I just realized I forgot to give my sources at the beginning. Um, I got a lot of my information from the Human Monsters podcast. There's an episode on YouTube. Um, and it is like three hours long. Um, I, th I did not include all the information from that episode. So if you want to hear more about it, you can go listen to that. Um, I got some information from Wikipedia and a, a people article by Christine Pelisek. But yeah, I mean, there, there is far more to this story. I mean, there's like little things here and there and, you know, it's just the same thing over and over. And I just felt like we got we, we had like, you know, the most important stuff outlined. And, you know, if you want to hear the rest, you can go listen to that episode. But whew, um, I don't know. I just I felt like it was important to talk about. It's obviously still a fresh story. It's obviously horrifying. Um, but there were so many people in those children's lives that could have done something. And I just think it is it's really important to to be aware, you know, to to look out for things like that. And if you see any sign of it, 
to report something like that because if you're wrong, the worst case scenario is, you know, CPS shows up and they don't find anything and they just have a headache for a day. Yeah. <laughs> like I mean, if they if they have nothing to hide, if there's nothing going on, then they shouldn't be worried if if CPS shows up. You know, like you know, it's it's a headache, but it's not. It's much better to deal with a day of headache than it is to potentially leave a child in a home that is abusive for 30 years for th- I Al- mean, almost 30 years yes obviously but i'm just i'm just trying to really drive home that if you yeah. see something say something yeah the the bystander effect was pretty i don't know i can't even wrap my head around it no just, like the teachers in the beginning then like the police report that was never followed up mm-hmm. on the neighbors yeah there was like the one or two times that they did end up getting medical care they should have had follow-up appointments that were never made and never you know brought to them so that should have been checked up on yeah i just i can't so get over the, i can't get over the fact that the the teachers never did anything i i mean obviously they only had jennifer for two years but at the same time it's their responsibility to to say something and obviously she was showing multiple signs of abuse and it could have stopped at jennifer who was the oldest when she was, you know, seven years old, it could have been over. So I'm just disappointed. I'm disappointed. I'm disgusted. And also those neighbors, you know, the neighbors that lived across the street from them for 10 years, they saw the house, they saw what the children were living in, and they didn't do anything. What's that about? (laughs) Like, what's that about? Yeah. I, yeah, I don't know. That's it. We're going to have a a much lighter story next week and we hope you come back to listen to it <laughs> what is um your good thing do you want me uh, to start yeah you can start this week go okay. for it my good thing is i am a week away from the from when we're recording this episode i'm a week away from going home to seeing my family for the first time since christmas of 2019 so i'm very excited to see my sisters and my parents and my grandparents and my friends and everyone so that is something that I'm very much looking forward to. Amen. Yep. Uh, my good thing is um, I keep bringing up the vaccine, but <laughs> I don't care. Yeah, And fine. I will be like um, the two the weeks, two weeks after you get your second shot. So like I'm fully protected. Like I think I have four more days left. That's great. At the time of recording. Yes. But like when the episode comes out, I think I'll only have like one or two. But like yeah. I'm like really close to being like, as good as it's ever going to be, really. Yeah, yeah. As far as, like, being immune, so. Yep. That's a good thing. Yeah. No masks. Now, yeah. like, the CDC oh, was just, like, pretty much, like, well. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that that requires a lot of trust in other people that I don't know that I have yet. Yeah, so, it's going to take so, it's gonna take a long time to come around. Yeah, but, I'm, I, I mean, think we're going to. that gonna... is pretty insanely amazing. Yeah, we're definitely moving in the right direction. I mean, especially in Los Angeles, which is kind of shocking to me. Like, we're in a really good spot. Uh, as far as the whole country goes, which is, again, really crazy, but um, wild. But, Love it. Yeah. Keep going. Um, we hope that you guys are having a good week. We send lots of love. Take care of yourself a little bit extra today. And uh, thank you so much for listening. If you would like to follow up with, you know, the pictures that we post of each of the cases we talk about, follow us on Instagram at nottoday underscore podcast. If you or anyone you know has a story of survival or really anything in general send us an email. We're going to do a listener's episode really soon. I know I keep saying that, but for real this time, um, (laughs) (laughs) we have a Twitter. You can follow us at not today underscore or not today podcast, but the T on the end of podcast is a three. You can follow us on TikTok at not today podcast and just keep breathing. Yeah. Yeah.